Today's special presentation, the Keeping It 1000 podcast, is brought to you with a limited commercial interruption thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook. Sure, the regular season is fun and all, but only one thing can compare to the excitement of basketball's playoffs, and that is having skin in the game with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Basketball has made its way through the regular season. Now it's time to crown a champion, and DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you in the center of the action. To celebrate basketball's first round of the playoffs, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you an amazing free bet offer. I just used this today. Nikola Jokic gets a triple-double. Boom, I'm making $171 for free. Um, For every day that you bet at least $20 in basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook will give you a $10 free bet. Head to the app right now. Check out all they have to offer, including player props, quarter-by-quarter betting, and so much more. Plus, don't forget about hockey's playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook is offering great odds and promotions all week long to help you make it rain. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Use the promo code DNVR. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, good people of Denver and people listening all over the world to the, the Keeping It 1000 podcast presented by DNBR and DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm your host, Adam Mares, and I am joined by my co-host of the show, really the star of the show, let's be honest, <laughs> one of the winningest coaches in basketball history. Uh, it's George Carl. Coach, it, it, it's so good to be talking to you again, and even more excited this week than last week because the pressure gets up, a, a, gets a little bit hotter. The details get a little bit more important. Uh, do you still... I get a little bit of butterflies just as a fan and an analyst kind of getting ready for the games that really matter. When you're observing it, do you feel that, you know, do you get a little bit of that, that anxiety or excitement? Uh, yeah. Uh, I have a little pitter-patter going on right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a couple series I'm really anxious to see how they pan out. Denver and Utah being one of them. Uh, but, you know, I think there's about five teams that are close. Denver being one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, and there's some teams like Houston that have a bunch of veterans trying to hold on to that position. And then you got the guys that are supposed to win it, Milwaukee, LA and LA. Right. And I didn't think they played very well. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't think they play. I mean, they didn't show me they were a separ- a big separation away from the other guys. Yeah. So that entices me to think it, it might be a, there might be a chance for, you know, I've always felt in the NBA history, there's once about every 10 years, someone wins the NBA championship that no one expected. Right. Yep. And because of all this crazy, you know, I have a little feeling this might be one of those. It might be, you know, I mean, Rick Barry in 1973 or 74, I talked to Rick a couple of days ago. You know, he won an NBA championship with a very mediocre Golden State team. Hmm. And, you know, Seattle won it one year with, you know, a good team. Uh, but that, there was, I think it was 78 and 79. It's, I was in San Antonio then, and we, we lost to Washington in the finals of the Eastern Conference, and they went on to win the championship. Um, So there's a lot of, you know, there there are times where there's dominance and like the Bulls and Lakers and, you know, there's dominance that 
it's a really it's a really long shot that someone can sneak in but i'm not i mean it's still a long shot yeah yeah to, to be able to a, a young team like denver and maybe even utah but whoever else you want to throw on there boston hasn't won a big series yet um and then in, in, a, in a quiet way i think toronto is being overlooked I was going to ask you about them because you didn't mention them as the favorites, but when I'm watching in this bubble, they impress me as much, if not more than anybody else inside the bubble. They play the right way. Yeah. And they play the right way, a higher percentage of the possessions in a regular season game. What I didn't like about the bubble is there was good play, but there was a lot of minutes of what the hell is going on out there play. And I would say 75, 80% of the teams had both of them. And then the coaches started messing with the last three or four games. And yeah. you, never knew if, you never knew if the team was going to try to win or right. play their rookies or play, play their veterans half the game. A lot of gamesmanship came into the last, <laughs> whatever, last – Really? Four or five days. Yeah, it really is the last half of the bubble. I mean, the bubble was the seeding round was two weeks basically. In the first week, I thought teams were trying to put things together. Maybe guys were late arriving or this or that. But the second half of the bubble, to me, was defined by teams not. I don't want to say throwing games, but certainly not putting their best foot forward and trying to win the games down the stretch. And Denver was one of those teams against Portland, against the Lakers, against the Clippers. They were in those games heading into the final quarter and they sat out their starters um what do you i mean i i'm i'm sure you understand the different very various reasons for doing that but do you agree with it do you think it, that there's some negative repercussions when you have a team that you you kind of pull back at the end i'm 100 percent old school in this area i uh, i've sat in rooms talking about you know should we try to lose this game to get to this team yeah. Uh, I've had those conversations, but I've never liked them. Yeah. And I've never, you know, I like that, you know, I, I think you're doing your job if you're talking about it. Right. But I'm more on the side of what you just said, that if you, if you mess with the game, the game has a way of messing back with you. Mm. That's, my, that's my integrity of the NBA. You know, I've always felt that, if you give the game of basketball the right stuff, it'll give you the right stuff back. And if you start thinking you're smarter than the game, yeah. I think the game has a way of slapping you. So I was not, I was not excited about what Denver did. And, and that list doesn't have Denver. That list has about 10 other teams on it. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to be, and I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not criticizing this part of our game, but it seems like the managements and the analytics are trying to tell coaches that mess up their mind and mess up, I think, their senses. Mm. And I don't like that either. Yeah. I think, I think manage, management should hire a coach, support them, try to make them great, be, be his best friend, but don't give a lot of crazy thoughts. Because all, most coaches have a little a degree of paranoia. Some coaches have a lot of paranoia. There's reason for um, it in the NBA. And, and the whole thing comes down to is when you start questioning and just asking questions and throwing information around that, I mean, I, there are times when I was coaching where 
if the information made my eyes and my head and my heart feel good, I liked it. Yeah. But the exact opposite is if the information you bring to me confuses my mind, it doesn't look good to my eyes, and my heart doesn't understand it, it's not a good feeling. You know, you bring doubt, you bring, you know, you know, how do we, you know, what, what do they want? Uh, I think management is tinkering with coaching, not only in basketball, but all through sports. Yeah. To, a, to, a, I think, I think, I, I think those guys don't understand how thin a line coaching a game of basketball is and how successful that line is. And and I think this playoffs has a lot of that. There's a lot of series right now that I think, you know, are, are pretty even. Pretty even yeah. for the most part. The one sort of to play Deadville's advocate on this, I would say that I think there's a lot of that in regular years. I mean, Denver did this last year, right? They sort of stacked the deck so that they would avoid the Houston Rockets, and they ended up getting a very favorable matchup, and it served them well. This year seems different just because – there's so many moving parts. There's late arriving players. There's a short turnaround between games and all of that. So to me, I look at it and I go, I see Jaron Jackson go down. I see a handful of other players go down in such short order. And I think, okay, there's a little bit of gamesmanship and trying to stack the deck, but there's probably other things that happen. And one thing that I thought came out of this bubble that was very positive for the Denver Nuggets, they got to see Bull Bull one of their young sort of, in my opinion, high upside prospects get minutes that are more valuable than summer league minutes, probably more valuable than even preseason minutes. They were minutes in a game where it was, okay, this is real NBA competition. And, um, and so he got a chance to kind of get real experience before what will really be his rookie season. Does that, do you see that side of it at all, that there was some value that came out of this and just getting a look at other guys and getting those guys experience? Well, Adam, I'm going to tell you, I think you should be, I think the Denver Nuggets fan base should be happy as hell that Michael Porter got that. Yeah. And, and he too. went from maybe playing to, hey, he probably got to play. Yeah. Now you're pushing the limit a little bit. I think, <laughs> you know, I think Bull has moved in from not, get, not having a chance to be on the court to being an insurance policy. Yeah that maybe Plumlee doesn't figure it out. But I think if you try to spread your rotation to 10 or 11 guys, and you could do it. Right. I mean, you, you might be able to get two up 2-0, and you might want to experiment with Bobo in game three. Uh, but I don't think you want to do it in game one and two. People don't understand. There's no home court anymore. Yeah. And – I, I don't know who that favors. Mm-hmm. Most days, I think it favors the inexperienced team. Because I think, you know, and the, the progression in the NBA is a good player comes into the league. He usually plays better at home than on the road. Right. And the first thing he's got to learn how to do is to become a killer on the road. Denver has done that this year. They were, this is the best yeah. this team has played right. yep. all year. Uh, but then the next stage is playing in playoff basketball yeah, and learning how to finish a game. I, I promise you in the eight games that are going to be played, I would bet you six of them are going to be close. Hmm. And how you close out the game 
again, leans and tilts a little bit to the veteran team. Yeah. The guy that's learned how to win in playoff basketball. And I think they learned a little bit of that last year. They had some big wins. They had, the one that comes to mind is, I think, that triple overtime win in Portland. Um, they had a good win in San Antonio. They, they, you know, San Antonio took back the home court. Denver took it back. But they've, not, they've never been in one of those series where and you never know what's going to happen. The pendulum swings for different reasons. I think Denver got a hell of a break with Mike Conley not being there. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a lot. Uh, but I think Denver's, I mean, they got an opportunity. And it's not going to be, it's, it's, I think last year's first two rounds, I think this series is going to be harder than both of last year's series. I think Utah is better than Portland and San Antonio were even, last year. Even without Mike Conley? No, not without okay. Mike Conley. But, <laughs> okay. but with Mike Conley, <clears throat> I don't know what you know, feel about Mike Conley. I think he is a playoff killer. Yeah. When he was in Memphis, he was the reason they won those games. It wasn't Marcus Gasol. Mm. It wasn't Zach Randolph. It was, it was Mike Conley that won those games in Memphis. And they had a couple good runs, you know, a couple good runs in their time there in Memphis. Underrated runs, really. They yeah, lost. They made the call. Went on to win it. I mean, they, you know, and they took them. They took them far. Well, that happened to me here in Denver, and no one ever let me use that as an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I met with Bull Bull though. I, I, I don't think he. We see him again. I just think that it was. I, I was more referring to the idea of him getting actual experience against actual NBA players, as opposed to you know if there wasn't a pandemic, if there wasn't a stoppage of play, his first action would have been at summer league, and then you go into training camp and then you evaluate him. I think the fact that you can say, okay, we saw him against Dwight Howard, we saw him against Anthony Davis, we saw him against real talent, we saw what he can do and we saw what he can't do. And to me, I just felt like that experience was sort of a huge bonus for Denver that they got, even though it's short minutes, they got to see him against real competition. Adam, how many of those games look to you like a summer league game? <laughs> well, or how many of those games yeah. look like a big-time NBA game? Well, okay, it's somewhere in between. I would say, in my opinion, it was somewhere in between. It was not quite a summer okay, league I'll game. Give you, okay, exhibition game. Okay. It's a fair point. I mean, I mean, the disappointment of the bubble is I think everybody was hoping for every game to have more intensity than right, they had. Right, right. And because of what you just talked through, a lot of games didn't have a lot of NBA intensity to them. Yeah. And now they're going, they're going to the stage where intensity is off the charts. Okay. <laughs> so I think and, – and don't get me wrong, early, it, it'll be interesting who comes, who comes out hard and plays tomorrow. Who, yeah. who wins the play hard game tomorrow is going to be a little more important than you think it is. Oh, I'm, I'm actually, I think it's going to be very important. And it's funny you say that because Michael Malone through the bubble has really been hammering home how disappointed he is in the effort and the defense and the turnovers. And you ask Paul Millsap about it. You asked Jamal Murray, you asked about Nikola Jokic, and he would say, and they all said the same thing. They said, I agree. 
but we know where we're at and we know where we need to be. So basically saying we have a, you know, a switch or we, we know where we are, but we'll be okay once the playoffs arrive. So if you're a coach and you're hearing your players say this and you're looking at the film and you're saying, well, you haven't proven it yet because the worst defense in the bubble, giving up all these turnovers and all these three-pointers, how do you respond sort of to that? Your players may be feeling more confident in their ability and their understanding of what's needed than maybe what, what, what you do. Well, you know, I think Millsap, I'm okay with Millsap, but Jokic and Murray, I think um, they, they, they have had too many opportunities in the years that I've seen them play to be a little too casual, a little too cool. Yeah. Especially on the road. Uh, especially in maybe games against, you know, maybe, you know, they had to, they had to play their A plus game to win and they never met that challenge. Yeah. Now you might be able to win a game with a B plus performance tomorrow. You know, they Conley and, uh, you know, they're missing two of their top eight players. Right. And I don't, I don't, you know, it'll be interesting how, uh, Utah's coach figures it out. Uh, they have some weapons, but they're not going to be as what you have, what you really have is a very thin bench in Utah, yeah, and a and a long bench in Denver, right? One one in Utah, it doesn't hurt your rotation. I mean, even though even though you want a deeper bench than they have, playing seven men is all you need in playoff basketball. As, but you, but if you, it's hard to play seven men in the champ, conference championships in the NBA Finals because then you tire them out. But in this series, they're not going to be tired. Yeah. And Denver then has the exact opposite. Do we all know who Michael Malone's going to play tomorrow? Do we all know? Does anybody know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But- I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, I, like don't I, know, a, I don't know. I don't know. Harrison, Martin, are they going to play? Well, they're out. They've been ruled out. They, they just came across the wire a little bit ago, so they are they're officially ruled out for tomorrow. Um, and I don't know. I mean, who knows about their time frame? I, I do have them on the list though a little bit later, so we can talk about them. But before we get there, I want to talk about preparing for the playoffs because bubble aside. I'm always interested at when a coach begins to turn their attention towards the playoffs. There's usually a three or four day break. There's usually a little bit of time, you know, a couple days for you to kind of find out who you got and then go from there. Are you thinking about, are you looking at the standings and saying, okay, here are the teams. Let's start preparing. Let's get our scouts on this and start doing this or that. Or is it as soon as the season's over, now we get together and we start to, to look at things. No, they've been preparing for a month. Hmm. I mean, they've been, they've been, I mean, they've been preparing. I'll just give you kind of my formula was my top three assistants. I would assign them a team. Okay. You know, like Denver could possibly have played Utah, Houston, or who else? One Oklahoma City. They could have played one of those three teams. So my top three assistants would have been given all those teams and their job would be to take that team and do an in-depth study, probably the last 10 games, last eight games they played. Uh, I think you, as a coach, I always like to study the games we played against each yeah. other. Right. Uh, and then you have all types of films. I mean, you have defensive films, you have offensive films, 
things that worked, last second situations. You have a, a stack. I mean, the, the book that they have on Utah right now, if you put it in a book, it'd be over 100 pages. Wow. Statistics, analytics, scouting reports, information, all the stuff. Yeah. That's a lot of information, though. You know, I mean, that's that's one thing about it is in short order to go through that much. I mean, I imagine that Michael Ballone and his staff right now are probably sleeping a very short number of hours, and there's just so <clears> much <throat> information they'd have to go through. Um what kind of things are you keying in on as a co? I mean, where do you start with your scouting report when you sit down and say, okay, it's Utah. We have all this information. Where do you, where's the first place you go? I think you always prepare your defense first. Okay. Um, and don't get me wrong. I, I mean, when I say there's a book of a hundred, hundred pages of information, you don't give that to the players. Right. Right. That's right, just for the coaches. Yeah. What you give to the players is going to be a lot more than you give regularly to them. Right. But it's not going to be, it's not going to flood them. Yeah. You don't want to overcoach. You want to let them play. Right. Um, I think a lot of young coaches get into the playoffs. They overcoach a lot. Uh, but you have plenty of time to make your adjustments as, as the series goes, as the series goes along. Um, I don't, I forgot your question. Sorry about that. Well, no, I mean, I'm just kind of getting into the scouting report and where you go first. And it sounds like defense and you're thinking, I'm guessing pick and roll coverage and, and, you know, is, is there specific things that you want to say, okay, we need to get this before we move anywhere else. We want to really make sure we get this thing. Well, you have, you have information on what worked against you and what didn't work. Yeah. So, you know, my feeling, you know, the ma the magic number for me was always seven. I would take their seven best actions mm. and, and, and work at them very hard. Make them the seven things you think are their best plays. Right. If you can take four or five of them and neutralize them, I think you're doing a hell of a job defensively. The other problem is, is you know, what I did a lot was teams that had success against Utah, I studied them a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, Denver beat them four times, but all the games were fairly close. Very close, yeah. All the games were all fourth quarter games. So I might go back and see if a team beat them three times or beat them easy and maybe look at those videos to see what they were doing, especially in the fourth quarter. Yeah. You know, most playoff games when teams are very balanced and equal, it's going to be a fourth quarter game. So maybe – you know, I always wanted to try to figure out what they, what their personality, maybe know their personality in the fourth quarter better than I do just in a regular season, than in a regular season. Yeah. What about the rotation? I mean, is that a thing that you sort of set in stone going into game one saying, okay, this is when this guy checks in and this guy's playing, this guy's not, or is it pretty flexible and you're just trying to feel the game in game one? I'm a field coach. But there are a lot of coaches in the league that aren't. And there are a lot of coaches that are more robotic in when and play. Uh, Michael seems to be a guy that, you know, he, he wants Jokic and Murray on the court a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I think I, I have a feeling that both Jokic and Murray are going to be in the high 30s. Uh, but fatigue is a little bit of a problem. I thought Murray showed – 
some fatigue a little bit. Yeah. And Jokic is not the greatest condition guy in the world, but he looks better. Uh, the other, the other seven or eight guys you're going to play. I think Michael is going is kind of in a tough place mm -hmm. because you have Porter playing well. You have Jeremy Grant uh, thrown thrown in a what two games ago he, he looked like uh, he looked like Bernard King. <laughs> you know I'm going okay, and their three ball. I don't care how many shots they make. I'm nervous on how many shot, how many three balls they're going to make in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And their defense on the three ball was really ordinary at best. I think, I think that's given them too much credit. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think we all know, everybody knows that the three ball yeah. is becoming a, a major factor in our game today. It's hard to win when you don't, when you lose the three point battle. Um, Denver did it. I think, maybe at least two, maybe all three times against Utah this year, which I don't know what all that says about them. Um, you talked about overwhelming players. Do you, are you creating new, like how new are the things you're going to do on a playoff series? Or are you just saying, okay, only stuff we've kind of gone over and maybe we'll make a little tweak here or there. Are you adding new plays? Are you adding new defensive schemes? Or is that too much? You will have to find something along the way. Now, again, I, I didn't like to really mess early in my practices. Like the practices for preparation, I kind of was in the, let's, let's know them a little bit better. Let's know what we want to do against them. But, you know, I'm sure Michael's playbook, I remember a lot of series is that the play that won the Houston series, and then we played Phoenix, you know, the same plays aren't always going to work against the same teams. Right. So you have to adapt. Uh, you do have a game that you played against them the last, about a week ago. That was a legit game. They played, you know, they didn't play very hard in the first half, but had a really good second half. And I liked what they did in the second half. They got, I think Michael can challenge them. If they do play defense, Utah could struggle. Right. Utah doesn't have a lot of great weapons. They go cold. They definitely go cold a lot. I mean, their weapons are Conley. Yeah. Mitchell. Yeah. And Clarkson. The other guys are basically playing off of each other. And Ingles is a playmaker, a very yeah. good playmaker. But he's not going to be able to shake and bake. Those other three guys you know, in my mind, are doing. Uh, I love Mitchell and I love Clarkson. I I did, I never liked Clarkson until yeah. this year. <laughs> uh, but he's become a dynamite offensive player off the bench. Yeah. In fact, I actually think. I think he's their second most important player. Second. How he, how he plays. Wow. I think Gorber 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 <laughs> is going to be fine. He's going to, I don't know if he's going to have a great series, but I'm not, I'm pretty sure he's not going to have a bad series. Okay. But you know, Gomez, is, if he goes 15 and 15, that's a great game for him. Yeah. And he's getting better. His offense. Uh, I don't know if you remember the game they played in the, in the bubble. He was really good in the first half. Right. And missed a lot of easy shots. Yeah. In the second half. Now, I'm not sure he can make those shots either, though. He's experimenting. 
He's trying to become more offensive oriented. But when the defense was pretty good, he did not finish. So can Denver get that defense into the game early and not allow them to have a, a 20, 25 point game? I think it's going to be important. We're talking about the playoffs. The playoffs! Sure, the regular season is fun and all, but only one thing can compare to the excitement of basketball's playoffs, and that's having skin in the game with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Basketball has made its way through the regular season. Now it's time to crown a champion, and DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you in the center of the action. To celebrate basketball's first round of the playoffs, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you an amazing free bet. That's right, free. For every day that you bet at least $20 on basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook will give you a $10 free bet. Head to the app right now and check out all that they have to offer, including player props, quarter-by-quarter betting, and so much more. Plus, don't forget about hockey playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook is offering great odds and promotions all week long to help you make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, it's secure, it's reliable. Uh, You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience whenever you want. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Moving on to this matchup with Denver, last week when we were on the show, you said that Utah was the best matchup for Denver. You you, you even put it out on Twitter um, with a Louis Armstrong gif, if I if I recall, um, saying it was the Utah was the one Denver should be you know most excited about. Why do you feel that way? Well, I'll be honest with you. I think they're they're there's I think they're better at every play, every position. Mm. I mean Conley. The year Conley had in Murray is a push. Okay. Uh, you know, I thought, you know, Mitchell is the only guy that probably has more all-star skills. Right. But I think he's inconsistent. His specialness yeah. is up and down. Yeah, that's very true. He can, he can have a great night, and then he can go six for 25. But he is dangerous because – He's a, he's a little bit like where Jokic was last year. I mean, he did not have a great playoff series last year. And this is his challenge, is he can, be, can he become more consistent yeah. rather than inconsistent. You're talking about Mitchell. Mitchell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the questions I think Michael Malone is going to be faced with at some point in this playoffs, at least I think he's going to be faced with it, is – if Barton and Gary Harris get healthy, they were a part of your team all year. They they missed basically five months. Are they out for the playoffs in your mind as a coach? Is it just, a, well, how do we work them in now with so little time? Or when they're back, just how do you handle that whole situation? They're out for game one. So we know for game one, it's not a concern. A lot of that is the chemistry of your team, the mental toughness of your team. Mm. Um. And do you think you can win not playing them? Right. You know, the, from the people, the vibe I get is I think they need them. Yeah. From the people in the, in the, that I know on the, you know, in the front office is, um, but in the same sense, their depth. And if, if you can win a series without them, it's probably this series because Utah is shorthanded also. Yeah. Yeah. So you think it's easier to bring these, bring those players back at the start of a series, game one, rather than maybe, say, game three? You know, if the series is 1-1, game three, you say, I think that's a tough call to say, okay, now you're back in the rotation. 
I don't know. They're both veteran players in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're veteran from the standpoint of years in the league. They're maybe not playoff veteran players, but I, I, and they're both good. I like both of them as basketball players, you know, and at this stage in, in the season, everybody has got to forget about their ego and accept the role that Michael defines. Right. Whatever he defines, it's going to be, we're going to be okay with it. Right. You know, we can bitch and moan at, at the end of the season. We don't bitch and moan now. Right. Right. I think those guys, both Barton and Gary Harris, are, are those guys. I mean, they've been on the team, as you mentioned, for so long. You know, Barton has a specific style of play. He's, a, he's aggressive. He's an attacker. But I think they all sort of buy in. I, that's my perspective on it, that they kind of buy into um, where, they, where they're needed. Gary Harris was the star of the team three years ago. He's kind of become the defensive player. That's why I think that. If you do play those guys, who gets cut out of the rotation in your mind or just whose minutes – are the most taken from from those Michael Porter Jr.'s played really well. Torrey Craig is a, a defensive guy. Who who is it? Um, uh, you know, Torrey Craig's been playing 25, 30 minutes. I don't think he's that guy. Okay. I th- I see a window of defense on Mitchell. Yeah. I see maybe playing down the stretch on Mitchell in a close game, offense defense. Yeah. But I think he's got you know, I think he's one guy that's the one. The I think the position he has is Barton, Porter, and Grant. Can you play small against them? Can you play, you know, Grant at the four? Right. And instead of playing Plumley, twenty twenty five, he gets ten to fifteen. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm 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 not sure how they feel. I didn't. I don't remember the games in season if they could get away with Grant playing four. Um, the flow of the game right now is – that's one thing I think is on Utah's side. I think Utah is playing with more flow. Mm. But, again, that's with Conlon. Yeah, yeah. Now you're moving Mitchell back to the point guard play position. And Ingles is a great playmaker, a good decision maker. But he's not a fast guy. He's not a fast flow guy. You know, and, the, and you know, Denver, I think, is one of the, the, the slowest-paced teams in the NBA, even though I think they play at times with flow and play very well. Yeah. They are – I think, actually, they were – they're 16th in pace, I think, of the 16 playoff teams. So I think they're the slowest team left in – you know, left inside this bubble. Is there a player that has been in the rotation? And I'm not talking about the bull bulls and, and the guys that were at the end of the bench that got minutes, but the guys that played in the competitive portion of these bubble games that you think probably gets pulled out of the rotation as the rotation gets smaller in the playoffs. Uh, and to give you a list of those guys, Monte Morris, PJ Dozier, um, Mason Plumley would, would be on that list. Th- th- those guys. You know, I, I think going into the, the series, I think Michael is going to try to play eight or nine guys their normal minutes. The guys, though, if, if it goes, say it's 2-2 two, two after four, then, you know, you're going, okay, Murray's going to go 40 tonight. Yeah. So Morris is only going to get 10. Uh, but I think early, 
you know, Moore's played well enough in my mind that he deserves some love. Um, and I don't know who they're playing. Who's going to play? I think what's funny about it is what about Moutier? Yeah. Is Moutier going on the court? Yeah, he's going to move up. I mean, Moutier, he might get on the court. He might yeah. be an important factor because Moutier can attack. Yeah. You know, he makes bad decisions. He takes bad shots. Doesn't finish well. Doesn't finish. But he, no. he, he does have the ability to attack a defense. Yeah. What is Jamal Murray? If we move now onto the Nuggets players, what, do you, what, is, what, what are the keys for Jamal Murray to have a successful series for the Denver? Mm. Well, uh, you know, individually, I think he needs to be a, a leader. Mm. I don't think he needs to be a, a negative shot selection guy, yeah. which, he, which I think he has in his personality. And I would like to see, I think, a big key in the series, two fundamentals in basketball that become huge in playoff basketball, turnovers and rebounds. Mm. Utah lost a lot of their games because they turned the ball over against Denver. Mm. The reason, I mean, if you go back and look at their statutes, I think they might average 21 or 22 turnovers. Uh, that's a negative. That can't happen. And then rebounding both, both ends of the court, defense and offense. Offensively, probably a little more important. So is uh, Gobert and Bradley and their hustle guys going to be able to negate the size of Denver? Right. I think that's interesting. I think it's really interesting too, um, especially with the emergence of Michael Porter and Grant. That's one of the things that has really stood out to me in these bubble games is that oftentimes Denver has a huge height advantage, which is something I didn't think about them, you know, for the last couple of years. But Michael Porter, taller than almost all small forwards. Jeremy Grant, taller than most power forwards. And actually, they, those guys have been switched. The, the smaller players have been guarding Grant. So I think there's something to that. And I have, I have sort of a video here I want to share my screen with here a little bit because in years past I thought that the Utah Jazz have had a secondary back line of defense you know Rudy Gobert was there Derek Favors was kind of behind him this year they play basically four wing you know guards or wings and then there's nobody there and so I, I put this sort of clip together of Denver drawing Gobert out and it seems every time he has to step out Denver scores whether it's the offensive rebound whether it's uh you know switches and getting the ball into Jokic in, in, inside if you can get Gobert to step out it just seems like Denver scores quite a bit so do you agree with that assessment and, and, and if you do how do you draw him out I mean what, what are the keys to sort of bringing him out of his comfort zone um I mean there I mean Denver's handoff game and pick and roll game is first class yeah and I think that's what you're seeing him go with I think you're going to want the handoffs Gobert plays in a drop most of the time. Yep. And when he drops, you have to attack him, like Murray's doing right there. Yeah, snakes the screen over, yep. But the whole thing is when you attack him, see, my thing is, team, what, ha what happens when you play Denver is the best passer on the court is Jokic. So when Murray attacks the big, you should be able – you should be able to help because Murray doesn't see and find as often as Jokic does. And Utah is going to have to figure that out. 
I mean, the big problem is Murray and Jokic and their two-man games, their handoff games. If Barton plays, he's pretty good in that game. You got the backdoor game with Harrison Parker, I mean Porter. And they, they have a lot of cute stuff. Yeah. Their offense is first class. Yeah. Even though they don't play fast, they score a lot of points. Yeah. Fast in the half court. Um, that's how I always put it. I mean, we, we judge things on pace, which is how many times you get up and down the court. But I always say in the half court, when they're at their best, the ball's moving left to right a lot. It's maybe not getting up and down the court, but it's left to right. Um, I, I wonder how, what role the mid-range has in this series. Um, because Monte Morris, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, very good at sort of coming off the screen and stepping into that free throw line jumper. And that's where – that's when you play a drop, especially in today's NBA, it seems like that's the shot you kind of concede. You say, I don't know if you guys shoot well enough to beat us with a bunch of mid-range jumpers. What, what do you think about the mid-range game and specifically in that – just that role of punishing Gobert for just saying, I'm going to stand in front of the rim and, and keep you out of the, out of the near paint? That's a good question. Uh, I know when we got into the playoffs with Ty and some of our guards, I had to yell at Ty not to take the mid-range. Mm -hmm. They were giving them such easy shots. Right. You know, they were giving you free throws that, you know, you're going to have to hit. So, but you don't want to overreact to it because the analytics say you're playing with fire a little bit. Right. My thing is, uh, my thing right now, right now their playmaker is Jokic. And both teams, I think the team that attacks the paint with the dribble and has positive reinforcement is going to have an advantage. Yeah. You know, Gobert, uh, you know, he hasn't been a great shot blocker this year. He's, he's been good. But I don't think he's in the top 10, yeah. maybe top five. I, I might be in the top 10, but not – the NBA, the shot blocking has gone away anyways. But I don't think he averaged two block shots a game. And as you say, they're small as hell everywhere else. Right, outside of him. And, and not only small, they're physically small. Right. They don't stand anybody up. Right. You know, they're not taking, they're not taking the charges. You know, they're, they're kind of soft. You know, in the middle, when you get when you get Gobert out on the court, they're kind of soft in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how Denver attacks. And and speaking of that, this series is so fascinating to me for Jokic. I mean, I'm the world's biggest believer in in Jokic. I just think he's when Greg Popovich compares him to Larry Bird, I don't I don't blink. Like I guess the rest of the world sort of has. I think he's just an incredible talent. And this series is so great because he's going up against one of the great defensive centers in the league. What do you think he has to do in this series? Does he have to dominate his individual matchup? Does he have to score? Or does he just have to do the stuff he always does, sort of be the floor general? I don't think he should worry about his offense. He, yeah. is, a, he is a polished, skilled, top – I don't know. I mean, I, whatever Michael wants from him is Michael going to him and say, hey, we're going to you a lot. I, we need you to get 30. Yeah. But I, that's not their game. You know, their, their game has different faces. You know, sometimes it's Murray. Sometimes it's – most of the time it's Jokic. But Murray sometimes will get, you know, the number one car, uh, number one seat in the offense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Jokic – I mean, I, I think the thing they got to worry about is defense. Right. I think – 
I think if they play Utah the right way, they should be able to keep them. I don't think Utah can score over 110 against them. Right. Which inside the I, bubble would be like 80, 80 back in the 90s, 110 in the bubble. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, think, I think you can control their offense. I mean, their weaknesses have been picking, picking up the three ball and transition defense. Yeah. yeah. Well, just by yelling, hey, we're in the playoffs. We can't have any fuck-ups. Yeah. You know, we can't have it. Right. You're coming out and you have it. Yeah. That usually helps your transition defense. The pickups, you know, you probably have guys on your team that do that better than others. So you, you kind of know which ones, you know, do it well. This, uh, just as an aside, would you have liked to have coached Jokic? Uh, I mean, the, he has obviously so many positives in his game, but he also sometimes just seems like he can't be bothered out there. I mean, is he a guy you watch and you say, oh, man, I, I would have loved to have had that guy? Yes. I mean, I mean, <laughs> that was a I'm softball. A, I threw you an underhand softball there. I mean, my whole thing right now with Jokic is I love that he's developed a three point game. Yeah. I think he's got more confidence than I've ever seen him at shooting the three ball. I agree. But I wish he could kind of pick, pick up the pace a little bit. You know, the, the secondary action where, where, you know, it's a little slow motion. Mm. Uh, but it's efficient. But I, I mean, I, I, I don't have many problems. I think Utah has got to figure them out. Really? I mean, my thing is, I was talking to some coaches. I, I, I won't tell you who, but one of my coaching staff will get Yoke. I mean, will get Denver if they win. And we were talking about how I would play him. I would, I would maybe play small on him. Yeah. And make him go inside. Yeah. And figure out how to double on dribble and double big. Don't let don't come with a little guy. Right. Come right. with a big guy. Yeah. With high hands. And make him kind of pass it out strong side and not weak side. Um but you know, he is the, he's dynamic. Uh and what I love about him, and I know some people probably don't like this, but I love it. Is he likes to pass the ball. Yeah. He he likes to pass it more than he likes to shoot it. Definitely. Definitely. Um, what about Denver's X factor in the series? I mean, is there a guy that you look at that you think is going to be more pivotal, pivotal than the rest outside of those main two guys, Murray and Jokic? Well, with Harrison Barton out, um, I think I think that what I liked about the bubble for Denver was uh, was their bench was confident. There's a lot of guys, even though some of them aren't going to get on the court, but a lot of those guys were confident playing. Now, the problem is how many of those guys can translate that to a playoff game? Uh, Morris did a little bit of that last year, uh, but I think Grant, or if Grant starts, Porter, uh, well, you know, their depth has gone down if, now that you tell me Harrison Barton aren't going to play. Right, right. That might open up a spot. I think, uh, I think Torrey Craig will play maybe a little more now. Yeah, for sure. But do you go one more? Do you go down to the kid from South Carolina? Dozier, yeah. I like him a lot. I mean, I want you to know, 
Yeah. Tell Dozier that his, yeah. uh, his agent should be sending me a check. <laughs> yeah, you've been I've, I've already told about six NBA teams about him. Oh, no. You got to keep these secret. I'll never just, just get, give him a contract. So I guess they locked him up. They like him yeah. too. Well, I love his size. I love big point guards. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of Nate. He's a better offense player than Nate McMillan, but he's not a, he doesn't have great point guard skills, but he makes good decisions. I think if he had a, a, a consistent jump shot, I, I mean, I think he'd be a, a starter in this league. That's, the, that's one of the things that kind of weighs him down. But I, I love him, too. He's so long, and I love how he plays defense, especially as I got into the film preparing for the series. I just saw so many great backside reads by him. Let's go to the other side of this um, matchup and look at Utah. What player scares you the most on Utah? I guess we have to throw Conley out. I'm guessing it might have been Conley before today. Yeah, there's no question that Conley scared me the most. Mm. I mean, I, he, he was playing better. Uh, it seemed like he had connected with the team as we're early in the season. He wasn't very connected. Yeah. Uh, Michael's a good guy, good cat. He cares. Yeah. Plays the right way. Wants to be a total point guard. He doesn't want to be a, a scoring point guard. Right. He wants. He wants to work it straight. Um, and as I said, in, in previous playoffs, you couldn't cover him. Couldn't cover him. He could go anywhere he wanted to go. Now that's gone. So I don't think they have a guy that can go anywhere he can go. Probably Mitchell. So the guy that would scare me is Clarkson. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my point is Clarkson and a wild card three ball. Yeah. Is Ingles is going to make four or five threes? They have a couple guys coming off their bench. Clarkson. Clarkson Nyang. shoots a lot of three. Yeah. They have a guy, Ning. Nyang. Yeah, Nyang. Yeah, he, he knocks it down. Um, so the wild card three, that guy that plays 10, 15, 20 minutes, and all of a sudden he has 12 points. Right. Um, but in the same sense, Denver might get a wild card from Porter. Right. Yeah. Right. But I, I think the guy that could put 25 on you is Clarkson. Yeah. Well, he has. I mean, he's had three very good games against Denver. I think all three games were above his season average. One of them, of course, that 35 or 37 point, whatever it was, where he really went off. Um, their biggest strength in the series, I mean, it's, in my mind, it's probably their, their ability to get into the paint and kick out and knock down shots. That's why they have so many catch and shoot, shoot shots. What, what do you think? What do you see as their biggest strength? I think they rely upon attacking the defense and falling into an open shot more than Denver does. Mm -hmm. Denver has more, for a better phrase, cute, mm -hmm. cute stuff. Uh, Utah doesn't have as much cute. But I think in the same sense, I think Michael Malone is, is going to be very much into controlling Mitchell's attacks. Yeah, yeah. My daughter's leaving, and she's just telling me, where are you going? That's funny. But I don't know who they're going to play, but I see a, a sense that Moody could play. Yeah. Because my, my, I haven't seen him play much this year, but Moody can attack defenses. It sounds like you like Moody. I'm kind of surprised by that, because he was, I thought, so frustrating here in Denver. 
You should be frustrating as a turnover guy and you can't make layups. Yeah, <laughs> that's very frustrating skills, <laughs> traits. Um, but you, go ahead. But if Moutier would give you one game, that's true. It helps you win one game. That's all you need. And he had those every, I mean, every, it wasn't too often, but he did have games where you saw, you know, the good parts of him. Um, what about biggest weaknesses? What, what is their biggest weakness? Utah has trouble scoring in yeah. the half court. Yeah. They have trouble scoring. Uh, if you take away their attack game, their role, you know, Gobert role game, uh, they don't have a lot of playmakers. They don't have a lot of guys that can make, make a shot for themselves or even make a shot for other people. They rely a lot on Conley. And they had Conley, Clarkson, and Mitchell. And that was enough. Wow. But now without, without, without uh, Conley, Clarkson's a little scary there. And so, and they're like Mitchell and him both get a little thirsty. Yeah, I was going to say, they, shot their eyesight disappear yeah. a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Shot selection, not, not top of the list for both of those guys, but especially Clark. So that's why I'm, I'm, I haven't been a huge fan. Um, can you tell me about Quinn Snyder and just sort of, you know, what, what you know of him? I mean, if you can be objective, I know he's a Duke guy, you're a Carolina guy. So maybe <laughs> set that aside. Well, two years ago, I went over there and spent a week with them on mm. the dribble drive. And we, we talked for, I don't know, three or four days. Oh, wow. On, and what it, they wanted to turn the game. Yeah. They have a lot of flow in their game. Uh, you know, we have a lot, you know, we always talked about pace and flow. Yeah. And, and the, he wanted to know the little nuances that we emphasized. Uh, and he runs a lot of stuff. He runs yeah. a lot of stuff that we believe in. Yeah. Um, good guy from Seattle, Washington, Mercer Island. <laughs> so he, he was in Seattle when I lived in Seattle. And uh, I bumped around. He was in Missouri for a while. Yeah. He knew the Cronky family well. And uh, a dedicated coach, really hard worker. Yeah. Belie believes in detail. Believes in work. Yeah. His staff is good. Um, it's not going to be easy. They're going to yeah. be ready. They'll yeah. be ready. You talked about cute. You keep, you keep saying cute, but I think the one thing that I think about Utah when I watch him, and you can correct me if you're wrong, you know, you would know this way better than me. They seem to disguise the screen really well, and they seem to run a lot of things that it, to, to me where I go, oh, wow, if I was guarding that, I would have been completely caught off guard because, you know, you can't see they, – they really disguise it. One action that they do, and this is um, sort of the clip I highlighted for this, was this, is the Spain pick and roll. And every team kind of runs this type of action now. But it's these, these, these second screens. You set the ball screen, and as the guy rolls, you sort of bump, bump the roller, set a second screen for the guy who set the initial screen. And it just, it just seems like I think a lot about Michael Porter because Joe Ingles is often in the middle of these actions – Michael Porter, maybe with his experience, can know where he's supposed to be on one screen. You start setting two or three and disguise where they're coming from. To me, that's an area of real concern if I'm Michael Malone, if he's going to be able to recognize these things in real time. What, so what do, you, what do you sort of make of those clips I just showed and, and that idea? Oh, I mean, it's a great play. All it is is it's a play to create penetration, create help, and recover situations for the defense both by the, on the ball and off the ball. Right. So there's a lot of things that you can make a mistake on. 
Yes. You know, exactly. on the back screen, if you don't cover the back screen, you get a dunk. Yeah. If you do cover the back screen, they throw the ball to Ingles as a playmaker at the top. And Mitchell coming off the pick and roll, when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, you got to cover him because he'll attack you. So all it is is a, a mishmash of defensive play, offensive plays that create the defense to, to help. Yeah. And how you help in multiple situations is what you're talking about with Michael Porter. He'll probably do the first one, right? <laughs> right. He might do the second one, right? Right. But there's a good chance the third one he's going to mess up. Right. That is, is this an area of concern if you're Michael Malone right now? You, I mean, you know this is coming. You know that they, they do this quite a bit. Well, they do it in a lot of other ways, too. They, they, yeah. they have a lot of mo- false motion in the – and the actions, you know, you know, my, uh, Quinn bleeds on the weak side a little bit more than I probably do. So there'll be movement, false movement to the weak side. But, I mean, I think the guys you're going to have to work. Mitchell is going to have a lot of dominant plays. Uh, I, I watched an interview on their website last night. And he says he wants to average 10 assists a game. Hmm. I think that's a little high for him. Yeah. But with Conley out, that's that would be a gift. Yeah, Yeah. he's gonna have it'd be it'd be be a big positive. And again, going back to what I said about the turnover. If if Denver continues to turn them over twenty times, I think they'll have a good chance of winning. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Do you have uh, predictions? Are always silly. I, I think it's more fun a lot, oftentimes, to watch basketball without them. But do you just kind of have a sense for how you feel these? We're going to talk after game two. We're going to get back together and kind of analyze how how it's going so far. But do you have a sense of what you expect in these first two games? Well, I know I know fans don't want to hear this, but game one's important. Yeah. Game one. That's where youthfulness, the inexperience of of you know, I mean, I know the stat is I think like seventy-one percent. Yeah, you win game one, you win the series. I mean, it's and there's no home court. This is not a pendulum. It's going to swing back and forth. So the momentum is going to come in a different way. Um, and I think in that way, I I hope Denver gets into the series quickly. Uh, but. If, if, if Denver gets into the series early and can, can get, say, the first two, I think it's going to be a short series. The confidence, the momentum, the lack of ball uh, of offense on Utah's side. I mean, players play better with confidence offensively. Yeah. Uh, so if they don't – if Denver can control them and, and squeeze out one win and maybe get a good win, a solid win, then I think it could be a five, yeah. five, six-game series. Um, but if Utah gets off to a good start, it'll be fun. It'll be a mental challenge yeah. for Denver to figure out how to win that, that scenario of how to win without a home court. Yeah. And that's going to – you're going to – winning without a home court, I think – is 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 a positive for an experienced team but i also think 
playing with no fans doesn't bring the stress that comes into a game with younger players. Yeah. Well, Coach, I, I appreciate these conversations so much. I mean, I, I'm so lucky that I get to do these and be paid to do it and have the recording and everything else. But it, even if we weren't recording and being paid for this, I'd still want to call you and talk to you for an hour about basketball. This is this is so much fun for me. I, uh, uh, I'm i looking forward to to these coming games. I, I know you are as well. Any any parting thoughts? My parting thoughts is I think it's going to only get better. You said that, I think, before we came on the air. Yeah. I will have more, uh, more feel, more pulse for the game. Yeah. Uh, for the series after after two games. Yeah, I can't wait. There, there might be some good things. I hope. <laughs> there could be some scary things. <laughs> Such a good point. I'm really hoping for some good things uh, as we come back here later in the week to talk about the first two. Um, thanks everybody for tuning in. If you haven't already. Make sure you're subscribed to the Keeping It 1000 podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to George Carl's podcast, the Truth in Basketball podcast. That one also can be found everywhere uh, you get your podcasts. Uh, and leave a rating and a review if you have not already. Let us know you're enjoying the show. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back again in a few days with, with episode three. Before you get out of here, though, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook sponsors this show, makes it possible. And now you can get in on the playoff action if you head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Basketball's made its way through the regular season. Now it's time to crown a champion. And DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you in the center of the action. To celebrate basketball's first round of the playoffs, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you an amazing free bet offer. I'm not kidding. I used it today on Nikola Jokic to get a triple-double in Game 1. It was free. It didn't cost me anything. How could I not bet it? Every day that you bet on at least $20 on basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook will give you a $10 free bet. So you're going to want to download the app right now. Top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time offer, all, all users get that $10 free bet. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.